Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett talking about the most important issues that aren't being properly covered. And of course, we keep going back to the big kahuna of all of the improperly covered issues. And that is 9 11, the most egregious cover up in history, as far as I'm concerned. And there's always uh, hope for uh, setting this right, getting some truth and justice. And I think we have to keep coming at them from all fronts. And one of the most important fronts is the legal front. We do supposedly have a government of laws and not of men or scoundrels or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and with this high-rise safety initiative that is put, being pushed in New York, uh, it may be possible to get another investigation of Building 7. And given all of the information that's come up about Building 7 in the recent past, there's absolutely no way that anybody can try to say that that wasn't a controlled demolition. So this is a, a really uh, worthwhile project, and um, using that as the excuse, we're going to bring on uh, Bob McElvain. Bob McElvain is one of the most active and outspoken of the 9-11 family members. Uh, he lost his son Bobby in the North Tower, and he hasn't given up uh, searching for answers and for justice. It's a truly uh, heroic uh, quest that he's been on, and it's an honor to welcome Bob McElvain. How are you, Bob? Good, Kevin. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you back. I've really been admiring your work over the years and your your persistence. Um, you know, I I don't know if I it, it's hard for me to imagine what it would be like to be in in the position of the family members and you know take the choice I guess of of complete denial and living a lie or or doing what you're doing. Well, I, you know what it is. It, it it and I sympathize with all you know my wife. She doesn't want to do this, you know, because it just it just opens up wounds. And one one of the Nylon family members is very succinct about it. She says, you know, I'm just sick and tired of hating. You know, when you know, I worked with uh, in the peace movement in the early 2000, you know, 2003. I got arrested in the, at the White House. You know, I traveled around the world. I went to Colombia, Bogota. I've been in Japan. You know, and speaking of against the war, and you know, I taught, used to talk in high schools and colleges, and everybody wanted to hear that message. My son was murdered, and I don't want to go to war. And, you know, it made me feel good and made everyone else feel good. But then, you know, it just got to the point after I started going to all the 9-11 Commission hearings that it was such a joke. It was such a sham. It was just, uh, and, you know, one day I just said, well, I'm not going to do this anymore, you know, the peaceful tomorrow's things, and I'm just going to work on 9-11 and tell people the way I see it. And uh, so, but the, what goes with that though is tremendous anger. You know, like I sort of, you know, I, don't, I haven't lost friends, but friends don't want to talk to me because they're, and I don't bring it up. I never, I would never bring up 9-11 to someone unless they ask me about it. But then I have a lot of information. It's like talking to my grandchildren. You know, if you haven't read anything about it, it just, people's eyes just go blurry. You know, they just can't conceive of it. So they can't involve themselves in a conversation. So that makes it very good, but then the anger just keeps festering. And uh, but I have to find ways to you know cool that anger and do other things. Like I read a lot of history, and I think that reading history really helps in understanding 9/11. So it sort of evens things out. I mean, there's many times during the day I just have to stop and say you know move on to what you have to do something else. And so I really understand why people in 9/11 families quit it's because it just overwhelms you. And of course, if you have a family, you just can't be doing this if you have kids. It just uh, it upsets the the cosmos in the household. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it is tough. I, I know that from experience, not not being a family member, but just working in the truth movement. It's uh, it's a, it's not the world's most uh, you know easy, pleasant, uh, stress free occupation. Oh no, and you know, and I I have a temper. You know, and I in fact when I got arrested, like we did uh, nonviolent training. Uh, you know, two days before, you know, it was uh, I guess it was Monday, March 17, 2003, and that really helped me because you know I, I do have a temper, and specifically coming to 9/11, you know, if someone questions me, you know, I've been with my wife, we've been in McDonald's, and someone starts talking about it, and suddenly we almost have fisticuffs, and my wife just gets so upset, and I don't blame her. You know, how can you be in McDonald's and suddenly get in a fight? You know, and uh, so I, you know, you really have to watch myself and. Uh, it's tough, and I understand why family members aren't doing it. I mean, you know, we had so many family members that were seen like they really wanted an investigation. Everyone believed it. It was a sham. 
and then suddenly, you know, everybody's working with Keene and Hamilton and working with the, you know, and not and peaceful tomorrow's, you know, anti-war, anti-Guantanamo, but no one will take that step and say, you know, I think the United States and other agencies around the world orchestrated this and murdered my son. And I don't say I don't think anymore. I know, but yeah. that's just tough for people to say and do. It's just like uh, I don't know. You know, I know there's a lot of reports, psychological reports, and you know things of that sort, saying why do people do this? And you know, the simplest thing I can say to myself is, it's like criticizing your mother and father and saying your mother and father are actually evil people. Well, that's tough to do. That really is tough to do, and that's basically what you're saying about the United States. They killed their own to do what they're doing in the world now. Yeah, that, that denial has been the topic of some shows I've been doing with Fran Schur, who's working on the psychological aspect of oh, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and that, that is tough. Uh, but it, it, it does seem kind of paradoxical that the family members led the creation of the 9-11 Commission and then recognized that it was a complete sham, um, and then even Keene and Hamilton have come out and admitted that they were set up to fail, that they didn't get the truth. Uh, and yet uh, it seems that the family members who created the commission or forced its creation uh, haven't been able to keep the pressure on, at least as a group of family members. Well, I, you know, it's it's perplexing to me, but I'm, you know, I, that's, you know, when I talk 9-11, that's why I've sort of simplified and kept it to Bobby because, I don't want to be treading on his feet. You know, whatever they've done, whatever they're going to do is fine. And I understand why the Jersey girls put in a lot, a lot of time. And they did a lot of things that were so, you know, powerful to this whole movement. But, again, they have families. And you got to just make that statement to yourself. Jeez, I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. because it, it it's almost seems it's impossible. I'm retired now, so, I you know, I don't have to go to work every day. I don't have to talk to my cohorts and, you know, tell them I think 9-11 was an inside job, and they look at me like, oh, you're nuts. You know, I can, you know, I just isolate myself, and I do my thing. I do my reading, and, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I get the opportunity to speak, you know, on a show like yours or, you know, I've spoken around the world. So it's just, you've just got to keep hope up and say, well, maybe someday, some, somehow things will change. It takes a lot of courage and stamina to keep doing that. You know, my friend Willie Rodriguez works with family members a lot. He's a he's a survivor, not a family member, uh, and he's gone all over the world on all kinds of public speaking. And he, he's kind of slowed down now too for family reasons. I I understand why people do that. Yeah, yeah, Willie, on what he's done. I mean, I I love Willie. I know Willie very well. And uh, you know, he's you know the long talk I had with him. That's you know, again, the, my first thing was to find out how Bobby died. And Willie really helped me on that. And, you know, so when I do tell my story, I, it all comes down to Bobby died from an explosion and probably, but I can't say for sure, but before the, uh, the planes hit. So anywhere I go, I did a uh, the International Travel Channel last year. And, you know, we did it right in front of the, you know, the new building, uh, Building 1, right across the street from the, you know, Building 7. And they asked me, you know, well, who do you think did it? And I said, well, it's a very complex thing. And I said, the United States, but that's that's very generic, you know, in the United States. But I said, I'd rather, and I think it's very easy to prove that Muslims had nothing to do with my son's death. And, of course, he died on 9-11 right there, either in the lobby or outside the lobby of Tower 1. And I said, that's pretty, and it's very easy to prove that Muslims had nothing to do with my son's death. So, therefore, we've had all these wars. We're talking millions of people that have died and have been maimed and, you know, lives destroyed because of a lie. So, and and if you want, and then hopefully that will open people's eyes and say, well, geez, maybe I should look into it because you can't prove that Muslims killed my son. And I can prove that they didn't kill my son. So, therefore, it's, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be, you know, I hate to get that global anymore because, you know, talking about the Pentagon, talking about Shanksville, talking about, you know, and I will, you know, NORAD's a big part of it. That's, uh, you know, because without NORAD standing down, my son probably wouldn't have died. They wouldn't have uh, blown up the towers. So it's, you know, it depends who you're talking to. You know, but again, if, if I'm talking to a stranger or, you know, kind of far as at work and you start discussing this, it's so easy for me to say, look, Bobby was walking. He did not work at the towers. He worked at Merrill Lynch across the street. And he 
just happened to be there at the wrong time. And he was blown to smithereens. We took a body home, but I mean, he was, he died instantly. He didn't know what happened. And, uh, you know, we were one of the few people that had a, uh, a body. And I finally sat down with the, the, the doctor and examined them like in 2006, because I never guts to do it. And, uh, and I never did view the body because they recommended that I didn't because, you know, it was, you know, it was, the only way I can describe it, if someone was, you know, you walked in the door and like four people were standing at the end of the room and with shotguns and they just blasted you. Well, that's the kind of blast that he took into the face and chest, you know, an upper body. And, um, and, and, you know, again, we're talking about possibility before the towers were hit. Right. So well, they, they, you know, you've really were... got a big time problem there, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and apparently it wasn't only in the North Tower that, we have these reports of explosions before the plane hit and very well attested and lots of people wounded. You know, Willie Rodriguez uh, is the most well-known of the people talking sure. about that, but some of the other buildings too, apparently, I think building six supposedly had a bunch of explosions going off. And then we have that testimony about explosions going off in building seven, uh, definitely before either of the towers right. came down. Um, so it does seem there were bombs and explosions going off all over the place in the trade center that morning. Uh, and well, and then I'll take that one step further, and the 9-11 Commission report took such monumental steps to cover that up. You know, like when people say, well, who do you blame for this? Well, I blame, first of all, the 9-11 Commission. They didn't have the guts to do anything, they were told not to do it. You know, they had one person that ran the whole thing, Delacow. So, you know, they, they spend, what, uh, two lines on page 285 in the 9-11 Commission report explaining that a fireball went down one shaft, created the damage on the 77th floor to 22nd floor of the lobby and uh, B level four. Well, all the uh, sub-level uh, floors were, you know, damaged and, you know, the lobby damaged beyond control. Well, a fireball, if you look at the dynamics of a fireball, it just can't do these things. I doubt it very much a fireball could have gotten down there. So, and then, of course, all the expression and, you know, like Tower 2 is a very interesting thing. God, you had the one guy that got up to the top, the marathon runner. I don't know his name was. I forget. And he had, he had the fire under control in the South Tower. Now, remember, South Tower's hit second, and he's telling everyone, I have the fires under control. Just send up a couple more uh, hoses. And then suddenly Building 7 or Building 2 comes down, you know, just like that. Right. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, the story, if, if, he, if he just spent the time of anyone logically just on that piece of it, the explosions, the so-called fireball, the fact that the South Tower came down before the North Tower, and then it was actually hit on the side of the building. I mean, all these things are just absolute impossibilities, yet people just don't want to take that step. I think if you do take the step and, and you want to find out information, then you would become, you'd say, gee, something is seriously, seriously wrong here. Yeah, that's a lot of us started walking down that path a while back. I did at the end of 2003. And uh, it's been a quite quite a interesting thing, you know. I, I think reading history, though, as you suggested, is a you know one way to get some perspective on it. Um, it's interesting how you know we have a long series of war trigger events, false flag attacks uh, that set off American wars, going all the way back to the Mexican War with the non-existent Spanish, Mexican yeah. invasion. We had the non-existent Spanish attack on the Maine and the, you know, the orchestrated uh, German attack on the Lusitania and the eight-point plan that forced the Japanese to attack at Pearl Harbor, broke the codes, knew it was coming, sent the aircraft carriers out to sea and let the guys get killed on the battleships to enrage the American people. And we had the non-existent attack at the Gulf of Tonkin. We had the plan to murder hundreds or even thousands of Americans to start a war with Cuba. Operation Northwoods approved by every member of the Joint Chiefs. We have, right. have Americans commanding the mass slaughter of Europeans in Operation Gladio, fake uh, left-wing terrorism actually carried out by us. You know, and so these are all pretty obvious. And even things like, you know, just reading The Coup, which is a book by a guy named Avramian about the uh, coup in 50, 1953 that overthrew Mossadegh in Iran. Mossadegh was like the Iranian Gandhi. He was a true hero. Um, and they uh, just the the lies and violence that they use is so over the top. You know, it's it. I think if you know anybody reads history honestly, rather than the sort of Orwellian official version, has to admit that the people in control of war and peace and foreign policy are really a bunch of psychopaths. It's almost like it must be a job qualification. I guess that quite you know, and I 
you know, again, I don't know. I used to be a history teacher, but I don't know what's being taught. I have uh, a good friend of my son. He's a uh, head track coach in New Jersey, and his assistant. He teaches history, and he does. And they allow him to talk 9/11. Of course, he can't give opinion. You know, he won't give opinions, but he, he tries to give out all the facts and things of that sort. And I asked him. I said, "Well, you know, like you were talking, like Iran. Iran's a big piece of it." Now, back in 1953, the overthrow of Mozambique and it created the havoc that we wanted in the Middle East. You know, eventually just developing the strategy of tension throughout the Middle East. But the fact that one of the Dulles brothers, I don't know which one, said that you know this this world is all about controlling natural resources. It's not about communism. It's not about anything else. It's just about controlling natural resources, and that's a perfect example. You know, controlling Iran's oil and overthrowing the Shah of Iran. Or overthrowing Mozadik and putting the shawl in. Right. And that in itself is just, you know, and it's continued that way throughout. That we, you know, we want war. The Western world wants war. Israel wants war, you know, because it just keeps things in, uh, in chaos. Yet these people can't go to war with us because they don't have the means or power to do it. And, you know, and to me, that's a perfect example back with Dulles saying that it's all about controlling the natural resources. Well, has it stopped? You know, I, I always recommend uh, Smedley Butler's, you know, decorated soldier. You know, war is a racket. It's a short book, but that's what it is. War is a racket. And, you know, and it's so prevalent now. It's so obvious now, you know, that uh, this is what they do. So, and, and you know, it's scary. I was just read a, uh, I, I haven't read the book, but uh, Stinnett, S-T-I-N-N-E-T. Yeah, yeah, Robert Stinnett. I, I actually about, did finally get hold of that and read it. That's and the one part of it, it's scary to me, and I really think that the American people are capable of this, but basically saying just how this one guy in the book says, well, what is wrong with sacrificing 3,000 lives? In other words, you know, Pearl Harbor, everyone knew about it, but saying, well, what's wrong with sacrificing 3,000 lives for the good of the nation? You know, very Machiavellian, but the yeah. ends justify the means. And I'm almost at a point where I think people would say, well, you know, Gaining in control of the world, stopping the chaos of the Middle East, maybe sacrificing 3,000 people at uh, the World Trade Center was okay. The fact that a statement like that can be made and how easily our minds are manipulated through the press and TV, that this will come about. You know, maybe that's their end game. Well, at the end, we can still say, well, we had to do something like this to take control of the world, you know, take control of the natural resources for our own good. And the back statement really it, you know, it scared me to death, the fact that that could possibly happen, that people actually think this way. And I'm sure they do. People, you know, you got a lot of psychopaths are running around, sociopaths are running around in government. So I'm sure it's very Machiavellian. Hey, that's why they did this. Look what, you know, what we're doing. Yeah, the neoconservatives really are into that. You know, the neoconservatives, uh, among their other obsessions, are obsessed with uh, Pearl Harbor and this sort of doublespeak around Pearl Harbor, because in their view, uh, it's interesting because, you know, neocons are supposed to be Republicans, but they respect Roosevelt in the same way they respect Lincoln for being willing to you know, kill a whole lot of people in a good cause in the United right. Country and so on. And, and, and they love Pearl Harbor in particular because their philosophy is that the truth is too dangerous to be spoken in the public square. So right. it has to be reserved as the private property of the Machiavellian elite, which is themselves. Right. And so for them, Pearl Harbor is the perfect example of this uh, because, you know, the truth was that, well, we really needed to get into World War II, according to them, and public opinion was 80% against entering the war. So Pearl Harbor was sort of a perfect justification, a pretext for getting into the war. And uh, that, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but there uh, apparently um, Rumsfeld spent the year before 9-11 giving away thousands of copies of Roberta Wolstetter's book, Pearl Harbor. Uh, I think it was day, something, day of decision or crisis in decision, something like that. Wolstetter is the wife of Albert Wolstetter, who in his obituary was named one of the uh, hundred, you know, most uh, influential unknown people. He was the one of the gurus of Paul Wolfowitz. Uh, he was a, a leading uh, military strategist, and uh, Wolstetter and and his wife apparently, you know, produced this Pearl Harbor book that, on the surface, reads like just another standard Pearl Harbor history about the evil, pernicious Japanese hitting us with a surprise attack and so on. But 
you know, beneath the surface, if you read it carefully, you can see that they are you know, twisting words here and there in such a way as to let the alert reader understand that they know that this was a setup and that it was, in their view, the right thing to do. So the neocons have this double speak where they have one line that they put out there for the masses, the public uh, myth in the marketplace, and then they save the truth, which is too dangerous to speak in the marketplace for themselves. And I, and I think 9-11 in part was, was actually orchestrated, you know, not only for the geostrategic purposes and to, you know, shred the Constitution and, you know, get the kind of presidential dictatorship they wanted, but also I think they did it to try to uh, force the country to accept their philosophy that truth is too dangerous to be spoken in the marketplace, because now it is. You know, the truth of 9-11 can completely shred the entire American system and completely shred Americans' faith in their nation. So then the Alcons created a self-fulfilling prophecy, and, and now, indeed, the truth is too dangerous to be spoken in the marketplace. We're all living in a big lie, which apparently is what they like. Oh, and, it, and, and you know, it, it seems like they're succeeding. I just get so frustrated. Like today, I've been sick of, you know, it, it's, I tell people it's like taking drugs. You know, I, I, I got to keep doing this. And when I'm doing it, I get a high. You know, I feel good. And then, you know, then it stops a little. And I start saying, you know, is this, can I, can you really do this? Can we really make a difference? You know, and if I'm not involved with people, I'm saying to myself, well, I can't make a difference. It's like, you know, nothing's happening. You know, it's very scary. It's, uh. And that's the main thing that I, you know, I, I want to tell people, I said, my son was murdered. You know, just picture your your child being murdered and they refuse and you know the person down the street's the one that murdered him. You're telling everybody, I saw the guy do it. I know, I have evidence. And the police, your local police say, well, you know, he's, you know, we, we just, we don't think that's happened that way. And you know, I said, put yourself in that position. You know, it's um, the anger and what you said, it's beautiful. It's just that they have absolute control over the minds of you know the public. It's just yeah. Well, you know, the I, of, I just find it so frustrating. I, I just, certainly empathize with your frustration, which must be sort of like mine, you know, to the nth power. Uh, you know, it, and again, though, you know, putting it in historical perspective can can be somewhat helpful in other ways too. Like, you know, for instance, it seems like we're making awful slow progress in the truth movement. But we are speaking truth in, in the marketplace, and we're shaking the faith. You know, I, I think that belief in, in the 9/11 myth is now kind of a, you know, half a mile wide and half an inch deep. You know, it's not it's not a universally accepted myth by any means. Everybody, you know, has this sort of unconscious fear right, about right. the truth. So we all kind of know, and so it's 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 now a debated topic, and everybody's afraid of of the debate, and and that's good because that means that there's not this sort of you know goose stepping you know unanimity about it, which could lead us to march off for more imperial wars. And, and the empire isn't doing so well. You know, they didn't do too right. well in Afghanistan right. and Iraq. Um, you know, the Israelis got beat by Hezbollah in 2006. Now in, in Ukraine, you know, the, the Russians are not allowing themselves to be you know, caved in. Right. <laughs> so, you know, in the, in the larger scheme of things, I think we may be contributing to impeding the progress of this uh, horrific sort of Orwellian uh, control mechanism that 9/11 uh, represents. Well, and I, you know, the one thing that makes me feel good is I, I like to talk. Like I did that International Travel Channel, and they came with my uh, inside job T-shirts and all. And I think the rest of the world knows for sure, and that's the good thing to me because you know they, and, and then being in European countries or around the world, it's you know, they keep telling me we live in a bubble. We really do live in a bubble. And I, I gave this a perfect example. My wife and I were down at uh, Ground Zero, I don't know, five. It was after I did uh, a big thing. Uh, people from Russia came over and did a, you know, they did a DVD with me. And anyway, um, a Russian couple came, come up, came up to my wife and I, and he said to us, or it was a couple, and they said to us, they said, well, you know, they came up and shook my hand. And so we really want to thank you. And she said, you know what the problem in this country is? At least in Russia, we know we're being lied to. He says, the United <laughs> States, the people don't know it. You know, they live in that bubble. And, you know, people used to talk to me in Italy when I did a TV, you know, I went over there for uh, zero. And uh, it's just like seeing everyone knows what's happening. You know, Europe's going through these things. Everybody's going through these things. And suddenly we're looking at it, you know, like we're still the exceptional, perfect country. And people around the world know what governments do, and you know, not that they're, you know, able to change it right now. But the thing is, it's in their mindset 
And I would think if any, if any, anyone around the world, if they've had any involvement with this 9-11 truth, they'll say, of course it's a big lie. You know, but, uh, you know, just getting the people in the United States is just worth, you know, we're marshmallows. You know, our minds are made of marshmallows. That, uh, they just, but, of course, if the media's not giving you anything, what can you do? Yeah, we'll probably be the you last. You have to know. work hard on the internet, you know, but people are afraid to believe. You know, they're just afraid to take that one step. Yeah, and and then once they start to figure it out, a lot of them choose not to work hard at trying to do anything about it. Oh, right, right. Well, I I tell you what, it, it, just to give you an example, uh, I, uh, Bobby worked at Merrill Lynch, and you know we, we we've been with Merrill Lynch, we you know our accounts with Merrill Lynch. And the guy has been working for me for years. Just about three months ago, he decided, and he, he called me up and he says, "Bob, I want to apologize with you. I've, I've been working for you with you, uh, with you for years, and I've decided to look. I at three months ago, I decided to look more into 9/11 because you know. And again, any time I went in there, I never went into depth and tell him what I thought. But I thought, you know, I always told him I thought that you know Muslims can do it that the United States you know how Bobby how he died and things of that sort but he just apologized for not uh, you know he really didn't listen to me he just thought well you know, he has no idea what he's talking to but anyway he made it a point to start looking into it now he he left Merrill Lynch and his his wife's about to you know his wife's going to kill him oh no got, <laughs> she's probably going to come after you too it now <laughs> and he started his own business but he said you know my father my you know his father ran the office he says we're having a very difficult time talking now, but there's one person that did. But he's seen exactly what happens to to you when when you start doing this. He's alienated everybody in his family. No one wants to talk to him, you know. So it really, really is difficult. But it does happen. And uh, but my neighborhood it just doesn't seem like it ever happens. Huh. Yeah. Well, my my neighborhood isn't the worst. That's for sure. A lot of people uh, here in Wisconsin have kind of you know they their first reaction is yeah that might be true and you know a lot some of them know it i mean i my uh, local auto mechanic in a small town in wisconsin figured out the demolition immediately when he saw the buildings come down and it took me two years um it's i think there there are an awful lot of people out there who know um but in in a way you know it it just makes people cynical and you know it, it you know they it doesn't it's not really empowering it's kind of too bad isn't it that the peaceful tomorrow's project which as you said everybody wants to hear that the you know family members yes. speaking out for peace it's too bad that that couldn't somehow have worked with 911 truth in you know synergized and and worked together and and really built up into something but it seems like there's been well, that wall between the two movements the peace and the truth movements well it's the same thing well i'll, t- I'll tell you what now peaceful tomorrow denies this but consider our 501c3 Right before the uh, uh, the Iraq War, we well, we had a big press conference up in the Marriott, up in I don't know what street it's on in New York City, but there were a lot of people there, and I got up and I really really blasted Bush, and I said, you know, a monkey could have stopped 9/11. Well, peaceful tomorrow really took a lot of heat for that. So if you're a 501c3, you can't make a stand like that. You can, you know. Well, no, I don't think that's technically true legally. Well, uh, I, you, you I, can't support particular political candidates and parties, but you can say any darn thing you want about the issues. Yeah, yeah, right. But I don't know. Apparently, somehow I didn't know exactly what I was talking. But you know, I don't remember what I was said. But they took a lot of heat. Well, that's true, really and, and probably from donors. See, that's the one of yeah. the problems. Well, that's it. The donors. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like Amy Goodman. You know, she gets Ford Foundation. Uh, you know, Rockefeller Foundation. So you, you really, you have to, you know, like one time I was on RT and Abby said, you know, there's just, you, uh, you know, you can say anything you want, she says, but I am very limited in what I can say. You know, and I'm not saying they're being supported by foundations, but same thing, but the peaceful tomorrows, in other words, they rather do what they're doing because, again, it makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. And to take, you know, my stand, in other words, they can't take that stand, that the United States was involved in the murder of their loved ones because they're going to lose their their money. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same thing with Abby Goodman. She, you know, she will lose her money. She will lose her station. So you always have to live in that limited hangout, you know, where you can't make a, a, a real statement saying, yes, I think the United States did it. Let's talk about Crawl Industries. Let's talk about Jerry Hauer. Let's talk about... Michael Cherkoff, you know, you know, let's get into the nitty gritty of what happened that day. Let's talk about the fireball that came down. It's impossible for a fireball to create that sort of damage. 
the 9-11 Commission lied. Let's talk about uh, Zelikow. The whole thing was fixed. He had an outline. You know what I mean? They were, you know, let's get to the nitty-gritty of that day. It's, you know, and, of course, most of the people were dying. What idiot could believe that those towers fell down when everything was pulverized? And then, then afterwards, they, they hide everything by taking it overseas. I mean, if that isn't a damn cover-up, what is a cover-up? You know, but get into the nitty-gritty. And, of course, the news won't do that either because they're controlled by, you know, the people that made the wars. So it's just, you know, we can't get in a decent conversation in public. You know, just talking about the fireball, it's, you know, I mean, all the most of the people died in the towers. And how can you possibly believe that those towers came down because of fires? I mean, you got to be an idiot. You know, but... You know, we just can't get that discussion. So, we, you know, we're throwing things back and forth in the truth movement. And, you know, some people, you know, like Abby now, suddenly, well, I'll never say it's an inside job. Well, why, what do you mean? What, what's an inside? You know, the United States did it. You can't get more inside than that. What's it, an outside job? Who did it? Well, the FBI said that it was done. Uh, we can't prove he did it. So let's eliminate that. You know, who put the bombs in there, you know? And, but no one wants to hear that. You know, we, you know I, I can't say it's an inside job. It's who, you know... I don't know. It's, that's too global, I guess. But let's, you know, hey, someone put the bonds in there. Let's talk about coal industries. Let's talk about the people that took the steel away from the ground zero. You know, it's uh, that's easy to do. Let's talk about nanothermite. Let's say, I don't know if it's, you know, again, I'll never get in that conversation because I'm just a history teacher. But I know my son died from an explosion. And, you know, explosions killed. You know, I can talk about def- uh, deflagration and detonation, the power of both, and, you know, a, a small fireball coming down a one elevator shaft cannot do all that damage. It's impossible. So let's go from there. But, again, we just can't get one conversation. It's just uh, back and forth, back and forth. And that's why I try to simplify it a little, that, you know, that we can go to the Pentagon. And, I, you know, and it's part of the big story. But my son was still murdered, and he was blown up. And that he died instantly. And of course, we and it's easy to tell people we've never had an investigation. Get that through your head. They refuse to investigate it. They cover it up everything. And uh, you know they don't even admit that there was a bomb. God, you know I've talked to so many people. And the New York Times, read the New York Times, the uh, the first re, you know the first responders and firemen talking about going in two minutes or three minutes afterwards and. Then, the lobby windows are blown out. Well, and then, of course, they said, well, one fireball did it. You know, you had the Secret Service walking around telling everybody a fireball came down there. You know, so, you know, we can blame a lot of people. But uh, that's why I'd rather get to the point. But the thing is, I can prove beyond a reasonable doubt the Muslims didn't do anything. Yet we're killing millions and millions of people, destroying countries, destroying the world, just because of that simple-minded lie of 9-11. And it's so easy to prove that it's wrong. So Yeah, and, and they won't try to hold up their argument is this is this is one of the things that really clued me in you know i've been trained to evaluate arguments you know i have a humanities background and right. i would expect that critical thinking being the whole purpose of having these institutions that there would be an informed debate and discussion of this issue because there's obviously more than enough there to start such a debate and discussion and yet nobody will defend the official story. You know, for when I was getting witch-hunted out of the University of Wisconsin in 2006, the uh, university uh, news, newspaper up at one of our campuses uh, put out a public, you know, demand for some professor to stand up and debate me and refute me, and nobody would. And so then we right. started offering $1,000 to spend, you know, an hour and a half debating, the, uh, holding up the 9-11 Commission version. Nobody would do that. Doubled it to 2,000, nobody would do that. And now there's a new debate initiative out there. Dr. David Griscom, who is a very uh, eminent physicist, uh, is looking for someone to uh, debate the question of whether the official version of 9-11 violates the laws of physics. And he's going to argue that it does, and he wants a physicist to try to argue against that. And Dr. Griscom has a, a Hirsch index of over 50. That's an index of basically how much you've done in terms of publication and scholarship in physics. And we're looking for somebody, preferably with that plus 50 uh, Hirsch index rating, but so far there isn't anybody. They've put right. out the call on JREF, which is the big so-called debunkers forum, and that's all just a bunch of unqualified idiots yammering 
And uh, they can't find anybody with the slightest uh, scientific credentials to debate Dr. Griscom. The plan was to have this debate, or is still, if we can find somebody, to have the debate on uh, March 15th on this very radio show. So we'll see what happens. But I'm not very optimistic because it's been my experience that the other side knows that it doesn't have a case. Even Frank Greening, the guy who's the one independent scientist who's been trying to defend the government's version of the towers, has come around and admitted that you know Building 7 is a demolition. That wasn't uh, the building. The NIST report on Building 7 is, is ludicrous. Uh, so there's there's really nobody there to hold up the other side of the debate. And uh, I, this really conflicts with my training in the right. academy. I was told that we were supposed to be watchdogs, looking for the truth, using critical thinking. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter who it's going to offend, you know, speak truth to power, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and today, it all seems to have fallen by the wayside. Well, and to give you an example, Bobby went to Princeton. The first person he met when he went to Princeton, he was in the bookstore as a freshman, and uh, he ran into Tony Morrison and Cornell West. And, you know, and I had, you know, most respect, I still have respect for him, but particularly Cornell West. It's just, it just shows you, you know, I, I think he's a great mind. And, like, this happening and debated anything, and I've, I've seen him debate, you know, he'll go from, you know, ancient history to hip hop. We'll go anywhere. He just, uh, you know, his mind is just, it's a sponge. Yet when confronted with 9/11, it's just amazing how he backs off. You know, I mean, I mean, there's an inquiring mind, a truly inquiring mind. Yet he won't take that one step to to say, "Geez, you know, there is a lot of questions." I mean, I think he'll, he'll, go, he'll go that far now and say, "Geez, there is a lot of questions," but he won't step forward and say, "You know." God, this is obvious. This is a, you know, an obvious lie, you know. And, but at least look into it. He has such a such an unbelievable inquiring mind that you think he would. Maybe he has, but he just because of the, the, the shackles of academia now, he just can't do it because he sacrificed his entire career. But yeah, I think it just a... really hurts me to see him. How you know, I've seen him on TV shows, and like he'll say, "Well, I know Bin Laden did it." That's you know, obvious. how can he say something like that when even the FBI? If he spent any time looking at it, said that, well, geez, we can't prove that Bin Laden did this. You know, when the FBI makes a statement like that, well, geez, then, then you've got a problem. And yeah, it, that's what upsets me. Interesting guy. He's, I think he's come come around to recognizing, uh, you know, more and more of the problems with the official story. I think he's on our side now. Uh, he did come to the event that we had in Washington, D.C. last yeah. September 11th. What did he say? Uh, you know, he he didn't say anything straight on about 9-11, but he right. sure did rant about the uh, lies in the official discourse <laughs> and, and the lies yeah. about the war and all that. I think he knows, and I also think he knows that he would take such incredible heat if he got specific yeah. about 9-11 that he so far hasn't been willing to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's the problem. I mean, again, it's easy to live in that limited hangout. You know, talk about lies and things before, you know, but it's just that that's that's what we need is someone like that. You know, of course, you know, they can't afford to lose their job. You know, it's a shame that Princeton couldn't give them that latitude to say, all right, let's, let's get to the truth of this, but, you know, it ain't going to happen. Well, you know, I, I don't know if he'd lose his job. You know, the people with tenure, by and large, most of them haven't lost their jobs. Uh, Steve no. Jones did, but he, he actually ended up in reasonably good shape with an early retirement you know, it wasn't quite right. a golden parachute, but he's okay. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I lost my job because I didn't have tenure. Right. So okay, I, I was kind of, yeah, I was kind of stupid that way. <laughs> but Cornell West, he, he does have tenure, and he's, yeah, right. he's a huge name. You know, I, I wonder if he's not afraid of violence. You know, Beverly Eckert's plane went down, and, you know, Dennis Kucinich started losing his family members uh, when he promised to investigate the put options. And Paul Wellstone's plane with his right. family members went down. And, you know, Barbara Boxer said that the murder of Wellstone and his family was, quote, a message to us all. So I, I think there is a certain fear among people with reputations uh, and big names and something to lose. Uh, you know, they're having some, you know, too many of these unfortunate incidents. The, you know, the you know, Danny's oh, you're right there. Yeah. You're right there. I mean, I, I fear it. You know, I'm always looking over my shoulder. You know, it's because, you know, the deeper you get into it, you figure, well, you're easy to eliminate, you know. Yeah, I mean, if, if Beverly Eckert actually had some pretty good connections with Obama and the Obama campaign. It was right after she met with Obama that her plane went down. Yeah. So it's, it seems to me that 
you know, if you reach a certain level of effectiveness or prominence, or, you know, Jimmy Walter had a lot of money that he was using pretty effectively, and so they chased him out of the country, they'll really try to shut you down, whether through violence or through whatever it right. takes. Right, right. Uh, so, so that's oh, yeah. you know, that, that's my goal is to reach the point where they, you know, they they really have to deal with me, uh, rather than just letting me yak on the internet. And yeah. <laughs> maybe ten years from now they'll have to knock my plane down too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it does scare me though because you know you just, I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, you know, but in a way they expose themselves when they do that. And it, but it's too bad though that people don't speak up. You know, when when Wellstone's plane went down, I expected all of the liberal peacenik Wellstone fans to go on the warpath, and they right. didn't. You no. know, no. when John F. Kennedy got shot down, his fans right. should have gone on the warpath. For some reason, we, you know, Martin Luther King. Well, at least there were some riots there. I mean, I think the African Americans are not quite as stupid as the white people. Thank goodness. But please, you know, when when they start shooting people like that down, you know, that's well. I, I, you're 100 percent right because I'm sure there's so many people they don't have the charisma of Martin Luther King. That's what we need. We need another Martin Luther King to mobilize the anti-war movement to China. You know, where we get millions of people in Washington. But no one can do it because they probably feel, well, if we do it, if Malcolm X or Martin, you know, we'll just get shot down. And that's what will happen. You know, we don't have that dynamic personality in this country can mobilize. You know, we can't get the 9-11 movement and the anti-war movement together. I mean, I tried. You know, back in 2003, I used to go to the national meetings up in New York City, and I said, how in the world can we accept Afghanistan? At that time, no one was, you know, debating Afghanistan. The anti-war movement was all Iraq, which was fine. But I said, why isn't Afghanistan incorporated in this anti-war movement? Well, you know, we, you know, the Taliban. You know, I said, that's, that's, so what? If you're anti-war, you know, it's still a crime. It's not a, a, a thing to go to war over. You know, but you know, they, it's just to deal with the, the anti-war movement is just an impossibility. You know, uh, you know, the peace movement as far as the soldiers are concerned. You know, they just, you know, they're they're so conflicted about that. You know, I used to work with a lot of Vietnam veterans, but, you know, it's just, and that's what we need. That's just that one leader to say, this is all ridiculous. Just put it down simply. And we have to march in the millions in Washington at the 9-11 community and the anti-war movement and get millions of people out there. They're t- totally connected. All these wars are based on lies. And let's just move it. And if it gets violent, it gets violent. But they're going to have to make it violent because if millions of people come to Washington, then we got something. But we just don't have the, the Martin Luther King at Jackson Mobile. I mean, it was just phenomenal. He just mobilizes the world. Yeah, well, that, that and, role of a charismatic we, leader is so important. And, you know, yeah. And people like you know, Putin is kind of playing that role right now, which makes me worry a little bit about his health. You know, when Hugo Chavez mobilized Latin right. America against the right. empire, he said he and all of the other uh, cohort, this whole leftist cohort that's, that stole Latin America from the empire, suddenly they all got cancer at exactly the same time. Right, um, right. And, and so I think that the bad guys have figured out this business of, you know, you can really cripple a movement by taking away the charismatic leaders. And, and I think now the people who are planning to be charismatic leaders have to think twice about it. Um, but we still have leaderless resistance. And, and, you know, speaking of the anti-war movement, how about the Ukraine situation? You know, I... I I was disappointed when Abby Martin kind of said that, you know, she criticized, quote-unquote, Russian intervention in Crimea, and I don't really see it that way. I see this as another, you know, imperial power grab by the West. Uh, what's, well, what's if, your if take you know the true story of Ukraine, I mean, we spent billions trying to overthrow the country, you know, then suddenly we have an illegal leader in there. I mean, again, that's the press fault. You know, if we got an honest portrayal of what happened in there, and he, you know, the invasion of Crimea, well, he had 25,000 troops, right, in, in Crimea, right? Yeah, well, the troops were already there, so yeah, they, all right. they did so, was just kind of grab and well, you know, keep the peace. I agree with you. I, you know, I, I thought I, I, Abby, you know, was, uh, I really liked her, and she did right before the last 9-11 thing uh, up in New York. Uh, she had me on, and I had talked to her, and I forget that Manny, the producer, and I talked to him. I said, look, I really don't want to get into the, the holistic global part of 9-11. I, I really want to talk about Bobby and, and keep it very simplified and keep it to, you know, there's these explosions going on. My son died from an explosion, you know, the fireball. You know, because I feel very comfortable with that now. And she says, hey, you can talk about anything you want. 
she says, but you have to remember I am limited where I can say, well, that's fine. Let me talk when I, you know, I don't need you to, you know, do your thing. You know, you don't have to agree with me. I don't care about agreeing with me, but at least let me get it on there. You know, and it's very important to me that I can prove that Muslims didn't do this. You know, they, they you know, because the 9-11 Commission stonewalled the whole thing. They admitted that they're so forth and so on. So I didn't, you know, I told her basically what I wanted to do. Well, that was That's a great, great show, by the way, Bob. Congratulations. That, that, that was the I best thing was I saw this show. anniversary. I, nope. I didn't like, I mean, well, let me just finish it. Yeah, okay. So I come in and uh, I don't see anyone. Someone just takes me to a room and they put earphones on me. And so then she gets on. And she just ignored anything I had said about or I asked her. You know, she had promised I could do what I want. And she had to, you know, like when she started talking about Henry Kissinger, what's tough, if you're not prepared for something, you really mess up. Like I did an interview yesterday and someone dropped uh, Dobbs Zachheim's name and I screwed the whole thing up. You know what I mean? If you're not ready for it, uh, you know, I know who he is, and I, but, you know, I, I just messed it up. So anyway, but she's asking me questions I really wasn't ready for because she had said I could talk about explosions and Bobby's death and she just started asking these questions I thought well maybe later on I'll get into what I want to get in then suddenly that's the end of it. it was only like 10 minutes 15 minutes at the most so I was extremely upset after that you know and I didn't get a chance to see anyone then I walked out no one was around I just walked out of the office and I went down to see my really? wife I mean that's really too bad you know I, I was in Washington DC for the big uh you know Muslim for 9-11 truth event that got bashed on Fox News and you know Brian right. Cornell West there and so I, I was staying with Enver Massoud who's an, an engineer who's done great work on whatever happened at the Pentagon um and we were watching some of the TV coverage and we saw you and Abby and RT and honestly that was pretty it's it, even though it, it was disappointing to you I have to say that 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 was pretty decent 9-11 truth media, uh, you know, so you, you really, oh, was it really came across I, I, I have no clue what I said, to tell you the truth. You, you were great. You were, you were great. We were cheering for you, man. <laughs> oh, God, good. Well, I, I was just, you, you can't believe it. I had to walk from, actually, it's on 44th Street, I think, and I had to, and third, and I had to walk up to, uh, we were staying at the Manhattan Club right across from Carnegie Hall, and uh, I, I walked in, I said, this is it. I said, you know, it's almost like I said, I give up. I was so upset. Huh. Well, but I say at least it came across. I don't. I don't know. But I, I think thing it came is, across really well. The, the yeah. night before, though, they had promised I can do my thing on that, and I really wanted to. But you know, it's her show, so what can I say? Oh, at least it came across. But I was upset afterwards. I really was. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of good pro nine eleven truth stuff going out on big international high production values media, uh, and and so you on that particular show, whatever the drawbacks, you know, and certainly probably could have been better uh, with, you know, if she'd done what you wanted, but it still, I thought was, was really strong. Uh, but that's just because, you know, you're real, very compelling and very articulate uh, and just putting you up there in front of a big uh, international audience, I think is good no matter how it happens, but it, it's too bad that, you know, Russia today is a place where Abby, feels that she can't say certain things, can't do certain things. I mean, what's the point of Russia today? You know, I, what I like about working with Press TV, and I, I send them op-eds a couple times a week, and I, I go on Press TV every now and then, and they, I can do anything I want. Um, and I, I write some very, very hard-hitting stuff. Sometimes, you know, maybe I go even a little too far, and they always print it. Uh, so I wonder why Abby is working for a place where... Well, that's that's what was upsetting to me. You know, again, you know, it was the night before. They, they said, you can say anything, you know, the producer and I, I was talking to both of them. And I explained to them why I want to do it that way, you know, because it's, you know, it simplifies it for me, it simplifies it for everyone else. You know, there's no sense rambling back and forth between the Pentagon, Shanksville, uh, Norad, you know what I mean? On a short show... It just again, if someone happens to be watching it, it gets too confusing for them, you know. And and I've been searching you know, for the solution of what happened to my son. I want to get it to the minute. I still haven't gotten to you know exactly where. I haven't found the person that found them. So this is very important to me. I really wanted to you know show that to people, and it's a big piece of the whole story. You know, it's part of the big lie that how he died. You know, they automatically think that you know the planes killed him. You know, the towers came down, and that's how he died. It's not even close to being the story. So the fact that they, she negated that and, you know, when asking about Kissinger, he's a big part of it, but I just wasn't ready for it. I felt very insecure about it, and you know, I had to do my best, you know, talking about Hamilton, you know, and, the, you know, how 
he met with us and said, because of national security, well, that's where history comes. And you go back to the Iran-Contra, said the exact same thing because he ran that investigation because of national security. We can't be revealing stuff. Well, that's a good piece, but, you know, and people should realize that, hey, everybody, you know, they're all gatekeepers. There's no one in government except Sora for a Wellstone that might, you know, and he gets killed because he, you know, he tried to say something. Yeah, so, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. You know, when I left, I just, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think it was really good. I, I know when I no, that's left. Good, that's good to hear. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes your own perception of an interview is not what other people see. Like when I did my interview with Hannity where we got in a big fight, I thought that it was a disaster. I thought I'd lost my cool and I'd made myself look like an idiot. And suddenly everybody's calling me up saying, yeah, hey, you just thrashed Hannity. And so, okay. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right because, well, see, you have your perception of what's going to happen. If it doesn't happen exactly, I guess that throws you off. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you, you and want so, to be prepared for everything. Right. And uh, sometimes it just, uh, you know, and I know on those shows that, uh, you know, it's just brutal. Although at the time Tony and I were on Gibraltar, here's, you know, we thought we were going to take a beating. And oh, that, that was had, a great show. Yeah, that was even He had better. to admit that, yeah, it's a controlled demolition. Yeah, you know, he said to me, amazing? he says, hey, let's do some more shows. He said, I'm, you know, but it just shows you, it just goes through a black hole, and that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that was an amazing show. You and Tony Zambodi, the yeah. mechanical engineer from New Jersey, went on. Geraldo uh, talked about the controlled demolition thing, and Geraldo admitted that he was basically convinced and said that, well, it looks like the most obnoxious <laughs> protest movement in the country was right all along, meaning the 9-11 truth movement. Um, so he admitted we were right, and then that's the last we heard from him. Yeah. <laughs> And after the show, I came out. Uh, who's the guy? It's on TV, Fox, from uh, the ex-governor of Arkansas, uh, tall guy. He's Ooh, Huckabee. Yeah, Huckabee. Yeah, he was at, he was waiting to come on, and he came over. He said, hey, "That's amazing! I didn't realize that." You know, he was so enthusiastic about the whole thing. You know? But then, <laughs> you know, oh, no. he, you know, of course, he, he would you know, on his show. He called me a traitor, you know. But uh, he, he was enthusiastic. He said, "Boy, I just never knew that." He said, you know, I didn't know about Building Seven. That sure looked like a demolition to me. <laughs> wait, wait, Huck you know? Huckabee said that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Like, he, Did he, somebody he have a camera on him? No, he, we were, you know, I came out of, you know, he was next up with Arado. Uh -huh. And uh, he was just sitting on the couch, and, you know, he came up and said, hey, geez, that was great, because he was watching it. And he said, oh, yeah, I didn't know that happened, but then you see him on TV, you know, it's like, I'm sure I, if my, anyone mentioned my name, I'd be the devil. Yeah. You know, so it's it, it's just it's mind boggling how the media works in this country. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah I think he might be one of these people who would give you a nod and a wink and, you know, sort of, Say, uh, I kind of, I know you're right. You know, sorry about that. Wish I could do something. <laughs> yeah, well, he almost did that night. You know, he said, you know, again, his enthusiasm. It's almost like, geez, I think I'll bring this up. You know, and, but of course that wouldn't happen. The same thing with Arado. That was the end of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wish we had more people willing to just stand up and do the right thing in this kind of situation. I mean, if you can't, if you're not going to stand up and do the right thing on this one. You know, when are you? You know, what would you? What won't you go along with if you right. go along with something like this? I, I really don't get it. Yeah, well, look what's happening in the country, you know? Yeah. So we only have a couple minutes left, uh, and since, I, you know, I've been leading you all over the place, maybe not as, bad, as badly as Abby did, but... Uh, oh, no, no, no. I, you know, I, we, I, this has been great. You're wonderful. I really enjoyed this. It's, nice uh, yeah, it's and, a nice so conversation. We only have a couple minutes. I want to make sure that if there's anything you want to make sure you get in, uh, that here's your chance. Well, again, I, I just want to get, you know, let me just tell you something about Bobby. Bobby was uh, 26, and he had just started a job with uh, Merrill Lynch, which is across the street from the North Tower. Uh, the, the west side is the West Side Highway, and Merrill Lynch was across the street. <coughs> so he had started there uh, maybe three weeks before 9-11, and he was hired as a, a public relations man, uh, assistant vice president of media relations. He was just such a wonderful writer. That's what he was going to do. He graduated uh, from Princeton in English and minored in uh, African-American studies. And But writing, he wrote every day, all sorts of journals, and that's what he wanted to do. But that's why Merrill Lynch hired him, because he was working for a PR firm, uh, and uh, his only client was Merrill Lynch. And just Merrill Lynch liked him so much, they hired him you know, for, to become part of their public relations. Hmm. So anyway, on that day, he came down, and we never knew exactly. Merrill Lynch had a seminar up in the 106th floor, and everyone thought he died on the 106th floor, but he got off at Fulton Street and was heading towards uh, Merrill Lynch, 
and I don't know what he would do if he'd cut through the, the towers or walk around. And But we had thought maybe he jumped or maybe he was up in the 106th floor and somehow got down, but no one from the 106th floor got down or, you know, so apparently he either decided to go in or he was hit by a blast. And one of the, I, one of the Merle Lynch people just about, well, just this year uh, called me and he says, it's taken me a lot of years to tell you this, but he says, I was probably on the same subway. I didn't know Bobby, but he worked at Broad Street, but he was heading over to Merrill Lynch that morning. And he said he probably got off at the same subway stop on Fulton Street and started walking across. And he stopped at a coffee shop and he says, then he felt these mass explosions coming out of the backside of the uh, towers. And he says, that's what saved my life, the fact that I stopped and got a coffee. And obviously, Bobby didn't, but he says, I think either he was walking into the lobby or he was in the lobby, but his his injuries were, he had a lot of lacerations on his chest. So his injuries were to his face, his head, face, chest, and one arm. Uh, the rest of the body, I had one, you know, one broken leg, but uh, so it almost seems like he was hit by a blast and it hit him right in the chest and the face, and this guy's, you know, going to be verified. It. He didn't see him, of course. So I'm sort of looking for, you know, I, I might, Bit of Jersey, and there's some people that were in the basement. They meet a, a support group every uh, every month or so, and uh, I, hopefully, I'm going to sit down with them because they they were in the basement. And they all went running up to the lobby, so I might get information. I just like to find the person that uh, that found them, yeah, so I know exactly the spot he was in. So he either made it into the lobby. Talking to Willie Rodriguez, he thinks that Bobby was in the lobby because he went up immediately and he, you know, he was telling me about bodies, you know, obviously he couldn't describe every body, but the, the bodies laying all around. And, uh, and then the, you know, the, you know well, I, I don't want to get, you know, other bodies that some of the injuries to him again, just didn't happen because of a fireball. And the unique thing about Bobby is I sat down with the doctor for hours. We analyzed everything that happened to him, but he had postmortem burns. And this is very important. Certainly if a fireball hit him, he'd have, He'd be, you know, burned, you know, to a crisp. So the fact that he wasn't hit by a fireball, and that's the idea of a, def a detonation as compared to a deflagration. A detonation is a very powerful thing. You know, it's like comparing the Usain Bolt to a Superman. Superman being the the, uh, the detonation, the heat and the power of the air before, you know, the actual fire comes is uh, just unbelievably powerful. So that's why I almost think that he was outside and he just got hit by a big blast either on the west side or on the other side. So oh. it, and that's a very important piece to me that the fact that, you know, there, these, these are big explosions going on. And I'm not talking about the thermite and all these are things that bring down the buildings, but they were used. And of course, all the people that I've talked to, and of course, Willie Rodriguez, the explosions on the, in the basement right there is a big, big deal. There's so many people that heard these explosions and then heard the muffle. You know, we're talking a lot of floors up in 94th floor, 93rd floor, but supposedly the uh, airplane hit. Well, and so the fact is, why would there be explosions in the basement? Well, because answering that, the fact is there was explosions in the basement. Yeah, and we so that means the plane had nothing to do with it. Right. And, of course, the 9-11 Commission just explained it as one fireball because there's only one, one – uh, Elevator could have gone down into the basement that far, <laughs> and that's been proven that it couldn't have happened that way because the guy who was running the elevator survived. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, 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 that's a big deal to me, and it, it's just it simplifies everything. We had explosions in the first tower, and even before the plane hit, so something's going on right there. Yep. Right yep. there, you don't have to go deeply into all this. People put explosions, so everybody gets upset and say, "Well, inside job, it's just." How can you explode? It happened inside. It happened right there. People were injured. My son died because of these inside explosions. Well, that makes it an inside job, period. That's right. You know, I don't have to go further than that. I don't have to explain yep. that, uh, you know, Rumsfeld, you know, he, he went outside the Pentagon and, you know, yeah. Myers and yeah, Canada, no, that, that, that's, Yeah, that stuff, that stuff's partly my job. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it's important. I'm, I'm, yeah. that, that's very important. Yeah. But the thing is, you're going to, you know, if people don't want to listen to me, well, explain it about Rumsfeld, explain it about April Gallup, explain it about NORAD and the PTAC in Massachusetts. So you just, oh, God, I can't take this. Yeah, because it's just too information, too much information. But to say that there was explosions in the tower, in the basement before the planes hit, 
Well, hopefully that will open up someone's eye because that happened. It's no, you know, there's plenty that's of right. people that explain that that's the way it happened. So we need, we need to get your the short version of your message out to the world, and let's hope we can get more uh, even better than the Russia Today interview and keep, keep getting that out there. Well, thank you so much, uh, Bob McElvain. Appreciate your courage and your quest for justice. Uh, keep up the great work, and I, I do hope to uh, work with you again, talk to you again, and also uh, remind the listeners that there will be this high-rise safety initiative, which is working for a real investigation of Building 7, that could be one way of keeping the heat on and keeping working for justice. Thanks so much, uh, Bob McElvain. Hey, Kevin, uh, thank you very much, okay? All right, and take care, and God bless you. Right, right. Bye. Have you ever looked over a mountain? One you ain't never seen. Have you ever looked over a mountain? A mountain you've never seen. Lay down in your bed and had one of them lonesome dreams. 